Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and today I have the two authors of The Third Sector, Community Organizations, NGOs, and Nonprofits. The book is published by Illinois University Press in 2016. The two authors, Megan Elizabeth Coleman and Terry Nichols-Clark. Megan, how are you doing? I'm well. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. And Terry, you're there as well. Indeed. Looking forward to it. Yeah, Megan, maybe we can start with you and and get your brief uh, introduction of who you are. So tell us just a little bit about yourself. Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm a postdoctoral research associate at the Institute at Brown for Environment and Society. Um, I uh, am sort of formally an organizational political science science, uh, or political sociology focuser or concentrator, um, though I have a wide range of interests, obviously. Um, I mostly apply organizational theory to third sector and to public organizations. Fantastic. And, and Terry, what, what about yourself? What's your brief introduction? I work on cities, and but have done this with people in 35 countries, which in turn has led us to the third sector and to China. We got an invitation to work with the Chinese, Chinese Ministry of Civic Affairs or Civil Affairs. And Ministry we of uh, so that that led to the book in Mandarin. It came out in Mandarin in draft, and we revised, revised, rewrote, and it's now coming out in English. But it has a broad Asian and international focus, which is distinct in part because of that history. Yeah, it's such an interesting book, and for the exact reason you just know, the way that this uh, sector is not approached typically. Megan, maybe I can start with you. Sure. Um, you refer in the title as Terry just mentions, to the third sector. Why is this the right term to cover the variety of types of organizations that you guys study? So I guess I would say it's 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 a good choice, um, and there are a number of other terms that could have also been a good choice, and this is the one that we chose. Um, part of the sort of slipperiness of the third sector is because it encompasses a pretty good array of organizations, right? So So in the U.S., we tend to refer to Nonprofit organizations as third sector organizations. Third sector broadly means everything that's not market and everything that's not government. Um, you know, if one is the private sector and one is the public sector, then this is sort of the third sector. The reason we chose that word is because um, because it can uh, sort of encompass everything from local social service organizations to big international advocacy organizations to, you know, like book clubs and uh, and community groups, because they are all technically third sector organizations. Um, but that said, within that, there are there's a huge array, right? You could be tax exempt. You are non-governmental. You are intergovernmental. You are uh, activists. You are advocacy. You are Neither you are just sort of community focused. So the third sector is the biggest term that we could find that still retains some analytical value. That's why we chose it. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, as, as you suggest, it's all these different types of organizations that are spread across different countries. Terry, you, you write at the start of the book that, generally speaking, the countries examined fall into one of two categories, those with a strong central state and those with a comparatively 
weak national government. I wonder if you can sort of divvy up the, the cases in the book into these two categories. And, and generally, how does this relate to the sort of broad strokes of the, of the third sector and, and how it operates? Uh, the, the big simple answer is Asia. There's a strong state tradition in all the Asian countries, China, Japan, Taiwan, Korea that we consider, as well as in France. So the U.S. is the only case that is the strong, uh, is not the strong state, but is the strong local and federal system, although we refer for comparative purposes to places like Canada, Australia, et cetera, which have a stronger Brazil, which have strong federal traditions as well. It's critical because with a weaker state, the, the stronger federal pattern, this, this encourages mo- the concepts such as the British term governance rather than a simple organizational hierarchy. And as we have more governance kinds of thinking, as is true now since 1989, since 1968, people are thinking of different ways of doing things in more complicated manner with NGOs, with non, with, with local officials, with national officials, with international NGOs, the Red Cross and CARE operating with the Syrian refugees in the Middle East. All these things are happening in ways that are breaking many of the simple rules from the past. Um, no. And if I could jump in there to, Please. you know, part of part of that comparison expresses itself in the third sector, right? In the United States, where you have had this sort of weak central state for pretty much forever, um, it means that the third sector has grown up around to sort of supplement for the shortcomings of this or supplement the shortcomings of the state, particularly in terms of things like social services. But you also see in this country, um, by which I mean the U.S., like a pretty strong social movement tradition in the third sector, which was definitely not present in a lot of the Asian cases that we studied until relatively recently. Yeah, and this this idea of, of change over time is really at the heart of, of many of these chapters. Um, and, and Megan, I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that and the way that the sector develops. Um, I wonder, in particular, would you describe how this has happened in France? Uh, because it happens in a pretty unique way. And, and what that has meant for the French third sector today. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the pattern in France, like in many other places, is that there has been this sort of sense of professionalization, right? So, so France went from a strong central state and sort of a well, well-integrated hierarchy, as Terry was talking about, to a much more sort of professionalized tenor. Um, but the French social economy is, is actually quite meaningfully different from the U.S. third sector anyway, because there's some sort of slippage between what is public and what is private. Um, but in general, the reason that we that we approach this using the concept of institutional logics, which is sort of an organizational sociology concept that some of your listeners might recognize, is precisely because it allows us to capture this change over time. And so we, you know, we've we've used um, five institutional logics, and I'm going to see if I can remember them all off of the top of my head. But they are um, clientelism, bureaucracy, paternalism, professionalization. Terry, I'm missing one. What's the last one? Um, Activism. Activism. Thank you. Activism. Yeah. As as a way to think about changes um, as they have occurred both like in France and everywhere else, and and the strongest trend that we found is that you know in France and the U.S. and in 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 all of the the Asian countries that we studied, this this institutional logic of professionalization has really been taking hold strongly in the last twenty to thirty years. 
Um, and so, the, so using the concepts in that way has permitted us to trace change over time, but also to trace similarities in, in the countries um, in the book. Now, now, Terry, religion also seems to matter. It matters in France, but it also seems to matter um, in South Korea, for example. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how Confucianism has shaped the third sector organizations that you study in South Korea. Yeah, Confucianism in Asia is the main simple religion which legitimates the family, the personal relationships with work, uh, and, and respects the paternalistic sort of leadership um, and honor. That changed in Korea from the rest of Asia, especially after through the 20th century, but mostly after uh, the Korean War with American missionaries uh, playing a more active role. So you now have four, four important religions within Korea, which makes it almost unique. Catholicism. Protestantism with lots of active um, um, evangelical groups, third, uh, Buddhism, and fourth, Confucianism. So the four are all there, but the most active and most dramatic is, is, is the evangelical Protestantism, and there are more Koreans today who are doing missionary work in Africa and Latin America per capita than any other country in the world. So they've, they've got a the most vigorous civic part of the civic sector, the third sector in Korea, is these religious groups, evangelical, Protestant. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. You know, as you <clears throat> move through the book and you get on towards the analysis, some of the um, statistical analysis you do towards uh, the final chapters, Megan, this, this, a lot of this seems to relate to issues of trust yes. and, and whether the third sector um, creates or, or impedes trust. Um, how did you study this this issue of trust in the third sector? And and briefly, what did you find? Well, so, so that's a, that's a big question. Um, so specifically, we were looking at whether participation in the third sector increases trust in government, decreases trust in government, um, or has no effect. And so there is a chapter that we actually wrote with a co-author um, in the end. And what and what he finds is that the types of organizations really matter for for participation and for trust, right? So certain types of organizations really do have a measurable effect on, on citizen trust in government. Other types of organizations do not. Um, and also, again, that this that this varies. It's interesting. You know, I was just I was teaching teaching one of the articles that we cite in this to my third sector class of undergraduates the other day. Um, and uh, and and, you know, so the take home message that that I have from this is that Levels of participation in which in which people feel heard, right? That is the kind of thing that increases trust. Terry has some very interesting work as well that we cite heavily on scenes and sort of like the consumptive and the participatory nature um, of trust, and that that those outcomes and those effects on on governance. Um, I'm trying to actually define the pay, the paper in here with with some of these analyses. Terry, you want to take over for a second while I look for that? Yeah, Terry, I wonder maybe you you know. In, in terms of these findings, do, do any of the findings on trust um, surprise you from where you started the book to where you end, ended the book? Yes. Um, the, the, the big Western theories, Western Europe, U.S., are that there is, are Robert Putnam and Tocqueville, that citizen participation increases trust. When we went to Korea and we had actually a Ph.D. student here, Sioko Kim, he did a Ph.D. on this for and started 
with national data for Korea and found it was not true. That Koreans who participated more did not increase their trust in ways that the Tuckville Putnam suggestion and many, you know, huge, this was one of the top issues in political science for the last decade. So to find that it fell flat in, in Korea, at least, Lin Turn led us to encourage him to expand his PhD. He included about 15, 20 countries, and he found in general it worked well. That is, the Tuckville theory holds in Northwest Europe, the Protestant areas, U.S., Canada, Australia, but it fell flat in Eastern Europe, Portugal, Korea, uh, in ways that we then can begin to ask ourselves, why do these organizations work differently? And what we focused on, and it's an, another book which links with, links with this, it's called Can Tuckville Karaoke, uh, with uh, many co-authors, especially from Asia. And the basic idea is to add, is to add what we do here in the beginning of this book on the third sector is to add the content of what's in their minds. That is, not just to say it's a sector, but what specific type of organization, what's the culture of the organization, and what gives it life and charisma or makes and makes different organizations differ. And in 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 brief, the the particularistic relations of I know you, you know me, I'll give you a favor, you give me a favor, is very strong in Asia traditionally, and it's also in, in the traditional Roman Catholic um Areas of Chicago, uh, this is still strong. It's part in parts of in many parts of the world. This is still clientelism. It's a major force of force of, of decision making. On the other hand, the the third sector organizations can be impersonal and they can heighten trust in the in the whole government. And that happens to some degree some, in some places. But it's it's interpenetrated by these what we what we discuss in Chapter one, as Megan was discussing these different patterns of organizational culture. So that's what really makes this book, uh, The Third Sector, unique, is, is we've added to the literature not a descriptive historical focus which says, you know, here's, here's the history of, of, of the Red Cross or whatever, nor do we just have statistics. We, we, we look at how these, how these, these organizational um, uh, institutional logics, we call them, clientelism, paternalism, bureaucracy, activism, and professionalism, restructure individual organizations and cross-nationally how they shift the rules of the game. And then, then in case studies we have for each of the countries. Yeah, and you know, I would, I would add there that, that one of the more striking findings for me was um, was the institutional logic of professionalization and all of the various things that that can mean, right? So when you make an organization professional, in a lot of ways, you can amplify its reach. Um, you can, I mean, you just become much more systematic. Uh, organizations grow. They, you know, enhance legitimacy, like formalization and professionalization has a lot of benefits. But a recurring theme that we also found um, is, is alienation that happens as a result, as a consequence of this professionalization, um, and so that is something that we did not have huge. Uh, we had no statistical. We had no data set that we could run um, that we could run statistical analyses there. But but an overwhelming pattern in the literature is very suggestive in that way. That professionalization brings some tremendous benefits, but also some tremendous perils. And what do you mean by that? Who alienated? The, the community around the, the third sector or those within the third sector? Uh, both, right? Uh, so there is um, there's evidence from the United States showing that 
you know, sort of a hyper-professional grant-making cycle can drive what, what the literaturists call pathologies in third sector organizations, right? So seeking, um, seeking success, sort of claiming success, kind of justifying approaches because they're, because they're what the, you know, the industry wants. There's this whole conversation about mission creep. You know, the basic idea is that when you're seeking money, right, the onus is now on you to, as an organization to prove that you're doing the right thing and it becomes harder to adhere to some principles, whether they are of democracy, sort of democratic decision making, uh, uh, that you, you know, that there's the potential that organizations follow funders' wishes rather than their own analyses of what needs to be done, things of that nature. Yeah. The book is, uh, again, The Third Sector Community Organizations, NGOs, and Nonprofits. The two authors who you've been hearing from, Megan Elizabeth Coleman and Terry Nichols Clark. Megan and Terry, thank you both so much today. Yes, Our pleasure. You.